0: Coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce.
1: So as a buyer, you, you got to find a way to stand out. And if all the buyers are syndicators, right, the seller knows that there's that risk, A, that they may not be able to raise the money. Mm-hmm. And B, if there's a fund manager in that mix, a couple things that are perceived by the buyer may or may not necessarily be true. But number one, the, the seller perceives that the fund manager is more experienced mm-hmm. and the likelihood of closing is much, much greater, right? That's what sellers care about. They care about their price, but they also don't wanna get A, retraded, and B, they don't wanna get the property back because of a due diligence issue, right? So by forming a fund, that we take that syndication model and turn it around. You have the money upfront, mm-hmm. yep. now we go to the market and we're now able to get deals that we wouldn't have got, been able to get before.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Past the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Ken Gee, who is the managing member of KRI Partners, KRI has been in the multifamily real estate industry for many, many years. They actually, we get into the conversation as to how Ken started all of this. And he actually started in my neck of the woods, Northeast Ohio, and grew quite large here. Since then, they've moved down to Florida. And again, we talk a little bit about some of those growing pains and moving pains that they progressed through as they transitioned into a different market. He's also in the process of setting up a fund at this point, or actually I should say he just finished setting up a fund. So we get into some of the ins and outs and what you want to do and what you don't want to do as far as setting up that fund. So it was a great, great conversation. If you're interested in multifamily, big, large multifamily real estate, this is an episode that you certainly want to listen to. Again, we get into some of the things that he did wrong and some of the things that he's done right and you know some of the improvements that he would suggest doing and some other things that he would suggest not doing. So again, great, great conversation with Ken Gee from KRI Partners. And uh, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce.
1: Growing up as a child, we always ate together. Mom would stay at home for the most part. Uh, Dad uh, worked and uh, my sister and I, we, we generally sat down and ate as a family between five and six pretty much every day. That's a really good question. I hadn't thought about that in advance. So that, yeah. that's, that's what it was like growing up. Well, that's cool. And was it would be about North- me trying to hide the food that I didn't want to eat. <laughs> and-
0: <laughs> what, were, what were some of your, your your most commonly hidden types of food?
1: Yeah, for some reason, my parents were into liver and onions, Ah. and uh, I don't know a single person who eats liver and onions now. But for (laughs) that was a big deal for them, and they really cook it, really well done. Yeah. So uh, I would cut it up and try to hide it around the the (laughs) edges of my plate, and it never worked because then they pick up the plate and there's all my food. Yeah. But Yeah. uh, yeah, it was we were a you know you must clean your plate, eat your veggies before you can get up kind of a family.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. And was that Northeast Ohio too? Or where'd you, where'd you grow up at? Actually, I grew up in Toledo,
1: Ohio, went to Whitmer high school. Uh, So yeah, if you don't know Whitmer high school, it's a 5,000 student school. So it's a big school. Okay. But yeah, lived in the same house the whole time I was growing up.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And did you, did you have any entrepreneurial tendencies or anything like that when you were growing up? Were you slinging candy or did you have any other, you know, sort of businesses that you started early on?
1: Yeah, interestingly, uh, you know, the advice from my parents at the time was uh, go to school, get an education, get a corporate job, you'll be set for life. Mm-hmm. Of course, they didn't understand how the world was going to change. And so I did, uh, after they passed, that was my path. And uh, so I got my degree from Toledo, my first degree, and then came to Cleveland as a, as a banker. But growing up, my exposure to real estate, actually, when I was 14, I got my first job in real estate. It was my mother's boss who was developing some apartments in the West, uh, Western Toledo, and uh, they needed someone to rock hound and then take the okay. rocks and wheelbarrow mm-hmm. them over. Well, at the age of 14, I don't know if you've ever rock hounded yeah. a 250-unit yeah. apartment complex, <laughs> but it is an enormous amount of work. Yeah. And so that's, that was my exposure to real estate. And I always knew that, that she worked for him when she was working, and they, he had done quite well. That was really my exposure. I didn't have much more exposure than that to real estate, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that's how I grew up and, and that was my focus, which has since changed. So obviously when I came to Cleveland, I sort of realized that real estate is where I needed to be because for a while I was a banker, then I was a CPA and I just seemed to be working really hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a lot of people in charge of how much I made, how successful I was going to be there's a lot of people that really controlled my life and I just felt like that's not really what I wanted. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, um, so how did you, how did you get started? Cause you guys are doing you know phenomenal things today and we'll get into that in a little bit, but how did you, how did you start off into real estate?
1: Yeah. Interestingly, my very first building was a, a 28 unit building at Shaker square mm-hmm. uh, at the time it was called Southmoreland apartments. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was uh, working at Deloitte at the time and did it sore, you know, quote mm-hmm. on the side uh, oddly enough everybody in cleveland knows who doug price is and k and d i bought that building from him and interestingly seven years prior it was the first quote-unquote big building he had ever owned okay so it was my first building as well now certainly doug has grown considerably since then and uh, our companies are nothing alike but uh, that's just interesting if if you're a history if you know the history of cleveland you know that doug always played a role in that so i uh, we bought that building and uh it's an interesting story. You know. I thought that all we had to do was buy the property and then sell it in a few years and make money. I didn't fully understand how to make money. Mm-hmm. And there was a wonderful woman from Shaker Heights in their pro integrative housing service that uh, I don't remember how I met her, but she, she convinced me, she said, Ken, if you build it, they will come. And at the time she had convinced me to put $5,000 into a unit at this property mm-hmm. and to make it nice. And at the time, putting five thousand dollars out was—I mean—it was really stressful. Yeah. But I did it, and our rents went from four ninety-nine to five ninety-nine. The quality of the applications were so much better. Mm-hmm. And since then, you know, I owe that turn in our in my career, so to speak, uh, to that woman, to a wonderful woman and then we just continued to repeat that process.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you obviously so you grew in Cleveland uh, and then you made the leap down south down to uh, down to Florida, correct?
1: I did. Yep, about 10, 10 or 15
0: years ago, I started
1: uh, I'm a slow deliberate person, so mm-hmm. I you know, I just I knew Florida was growing. I knew I loved Florida, uh, most people do. So I wanted to go and start to understand the market. I knew from my experiences in Cleveland that you really got to understand what's going on and that details matter in this business. If not, you really get, you'll get killed. So I started going down, looking at properties, you know, underwriting them all the way as if I were buying them and just started learning as much as I could back uh, about, 10, about 15 years ago, my first yeah. trip down.
0: And, and what, um, what city did you end up getting your first, your first property in? And how yeah, large good, was it?
1: Good question, Clearwater. Was uh, the first deal actually? As it turns out, I did a case study. It's out on YouTube uh, about uh, that property that we we bought. We bought it two and a half years later, sold it. We did a value add business plan just like uh, we normally do, and I think uh, our annual rate of return was over thirty percent on that deal. So you know that was the first. Then we bought in the Orlando area. Then we bought in the Jacksonville
0: area, and you know we just continue to grow. Yeah, and what what was it like? When you, you obviously had your, your established business set up in Northeast Ohio in the Cleveland area. What was it like when you first went down to Florida? I mean, were you bringing crews down there or did you find local contractors to work with? What, what, what was that, I guess, I guess you could almost consider it another upstart. What, what did that look like when you, when you started another, another city?
1: Yeah, good, good question. So the first comment I'll make about that is, you know, it's odd to just get off a plane I tell this to my kids all the time. You walk off the plane and, and you got to figure it out from scratch. Mm-hmm. There's nobody, you know, in a new city that's going to hold your hand and walk you through it. So we spent, that's why we were so slow and deliberate. When we finally did find a property that would like to, we put offers all kinds of offers in, and, mm-hmm. you know, it just takes time So you understand. And, and in a competitive market, getting a, getting a seller to award you the deal. Yeah. That, that's a big deal in, in markets like Florida. So when we got our first property, I knew, How we wanted to manage it. Problem is, the lenders wouldn't allow us to just go in and, you know, the moral of the big recession was out of state buyer buying a property and not running it well, right? So they forced us to have a management company in place, a third party manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did, we made a special deal with them that basically they would allow, they would be the manager really in name only. We used Mm -hmm. our systems, I was in charge, you know, they let us be the manager. But just you know, basically
0: rent their name, so to speak. Yeah, Uh, and uh, that's how we got started. I love it. I love it. So that and and were you able to tap into their network of different contractors and whatnot? Were they helping you in that in that sense? Kind of, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's
1: uh, you know, it's really not hard when you just do the necessary work to pick up the phone. They they did have some contractors in place. But, you know, when you, uh, in Tampa, there's a Bay area apartment association in Orlando, they have an apartment association Jacksonville is the same way you go to those associations. They know who the good vendors are. Yeah. And it's, it's really not hard to find them. You just got to pick up the phone and do the networking and meet with these people and talk to them and figure out who's good and who's not. And then, you know, you're just, you're just networking, right? Just like you do in any, in any business. And you just ask people who's, who's the good pest control company here, you know, yeah. who, who should we use for this and that? And. So it's just you know hard work and trying to develop our network.
0: Yep, yep. And and did you notice anything different between you know the way that things were done down in Florida or the you know the the I guess maybe even the different materials or anything like that? Were, were there were there any big learnings just based on different geography? You know how these buildings were treated or or you know improved anything along those lines? Sure.
1: Generally, the housing stock in, in the markets we're in in Florida is generally newer mm-hmm. than it is, say, in a Cleveland. There, It's hard to find a 1940, 1950, 1960 building. They're, they're there, but mm-hmm. there's far fewer of them than there are, say, in Cleveland, right? A lot of people in Cleveland would say if it was built in the 70s, it's relatively new. Yeah. In most of the markets in Florida, they would say that that's relatively old, old. vintage, yeah. because what happens is when you're in a growth market like that, rents are moving so quickly that when you have a situation where the property is just outdated and functionally obsolete, they just knock it down and start mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And they're able to get the rents that they need to in order to, to be able to make that process financially viable. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the biggest thing that I noticed was different.
0: Have you have you ever taken that approach where you bought a building just to knock it down? Have you? Have you we we have that? not,
1: no. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've never done any ground up development, but we have done considerable value add deals where if I
0: were to show you before and after pictures, you would not even believe it's the same property. Yeah, I love it. I love it. What, what are some of the, uh, I guess, the most outstanding renovations that you've realized? Like the, the, I guess the biggest bang for your buck, like what, what were some of those things that you really noticed a big uptick after you did whatever sure. that was? Yeah, good question. So when I approach a renovate,
1: it, it actually it become it becomes fun because mm-hmm. when you're when you take a property and you you have this vision that you think you can really take it to the next level, you get to use the creative side of your brain, right? I'm a CPA by background, so it's a little bit of a stretch sometimes to think that I would have a creative side, but but it's fun. So what we focus on, we always do our renovations from the outside in, mm-hmm. right? It's because of first. curb appeal, right? Curb yep. appeal matters, but we pay a lot of attention to the amenity package, mm-hmm. because People they they love people love to have the ability to bring their family to the pool. Mm -hmm. Mom can work out, dad can watch a football game on the outdoor TV while the kids are swimming and at the playground. Mm -hmm. And then when it's lunchtime, they can use the outdoor grill to cook their meal, eat right there at the pool. You see, it becomes a whole family ordeal. So Mm -hmm. we try to expand on those amenity packages. I call them. We try to make it a destination. Mm -hmm. right i mean that's maybe an exaggeration in some in some uh, cases but we really try to make that amenity package cool because when you're trying to move rent when you're trying to sell anything you want to grab your buyer emotionally Mm -hmm. you want them to fall in love with what you've done there so that's the most fun that we have and we've been really successful being able to do that even with properties as small as 75 to 90 units you know with pool outdoor kitchen outdoor tv you know lovely pool furniture playground volleyball basketball court all that kind of stuff even those small properties are huge because yeah. now people can actually use them and and you know they don't need to go have a membership at the fitness center they don't you know th- all the stuff that they need are right there
0: yeah yeah no that's great that's great what what are some of the i guess the challenges that you've run into in your renovations in Florida? Have you have you learned anything like, you know, we don't ever want to do that again? Any, <laughs> anything along those lines? Yeah, probably
1: our biggest challenge in Florida is finding people to do the work. Mm-hmm. Even now, as we record this, we're in the middle of a pandemic, supposedly high unemployment. But I will tell you that finding people to get the work done is really, really a
2: challenge. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes, and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today.
1: It yeah. really is. That's our, probably our biggest challenge. Is there any renovation that I've done that I wouldn't do? I will tell you that we've seen some of our clients. We do third-party management as well, mm-hmm. and I'd always, you know, I don't always get the say-so in terms of what renovations are done at their properties, right? It's their property; they should be allowed to do what they want. Yeah. But I'll see some clients will start to do; they'll renovate from the inside out, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and they want to have a beautiful place for their their residents to live. The problem is that when you're trying to lease a property. I have to be able to get that prospect into behind that locked front door. Yeah, yeah. So if the outside doesn't get it done, then I can't even get them to the front door. So I've seen some people do that. I don't think there's ever really, am trying to think of an amenity that I just wish I would have never done. And it's not, I, I can't say that there's one that I've just dreaded. I mean, I, some probably have had marginal impact. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that the big thing in Florida for a long time was tennis courts. And well, like, every single person is ripping out, they're ripping out tennis yeah. courts left and right. And it's because who wants to play tennis in 98 degree humid yeah. heat? I mean, you just can't do it. you die. done. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've looked at quite a few properties down south as well. And we, we always ask, does anybody use a tennis courts? And pretty well, everybody says no. So Never,
1: yeah, never. Yeah. They make wonderful dog parts. That's the one thing about Florida. I will tell you, I can't tell you how many times I go out to eat and there's people eating dinner with their dogs at, at their feet.
0: Huh. Uh, it's yeah. a big deal.
1: People yeah. love their dogs in Florida.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we were talking a little bit before we, we started recording here. You guys just set up a fund. Can you talk a little bit about you know, the, the purpose of the fund and how it's, how it's you know, going to benefit you moving forward? Sure. So
1: most people that buy, they do some level of syndication. Mm-hmm. And in a syndication scenario, the, the buyer goes out, finds the property then he tries goes out and raises the money right and hopefully yeah. he's got a pipeline of investors but there's you know the money comes second in most cases well mm-hmm. when you're in a competitive market like florida for example we're selling a property now we're selling a couple but we're selling one in particular that had 24 offers okay so as a buyer you you got to find a way to stand out and if all the buyers are syndicators right the seller knows that there's that risk a that they may not be able To raise the money. Mm -hmm. And B, if there's a fund manager in that mix, a couple things that are perceived by the buyer may or may not necessarily be true. But number one, the the seller perceives that the fund manager is more experienced. Mm -hmm. And the likelihood of closing is much, much greater, right? That's what sellers care about. They care about their price. but They also don't want to get a retraded and B, they don't want to get the property back because of a due diligence issue, right? So by forming the fund that we take that syndication model and turn it around. You have the money mm-hmm. up front. Yep. Now we go to the market and we're now able to get deals that we wouldn't have got been able to get before. Or yeah. we would have had to pay up in order to get or find some way to get that seller to pick us over the other guys. Yep.
0: Because and there's so much upside, even at a competitive market, you can do quite well. Absolutely. So so when you when you're, I guess, looking for investors for the fund you're offering them a set a set return on their investment correct like so it's not like the typical syndication where you know on this deal we can do you know this kind of waterfall or this kind of you know payout structure preferred return whatever it is it's you know you're buying into the fund and this is this is the return correct
1: no actually it's very similar the waterfall structure when we made the jump from syndications to funds it was important to me that we do a couple of things. One, continue to buy the same product and implement the same business plan that we have for 20 years, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what you should do. Don't try something new with someone else's money. I'm not a fan of that. The second thing that we do is we kept the waterfall very similar. So we always pay a preferred return Mm -hmm. in this particular fund at 7%. Mm -hmm. And then the only, so the carry interest, I'm I'm sure you know what that is. That's the sponsor's bonus for doing a good job. Mm -hmm. It truly comes at the back end. So in our fund, you have to get all your money back, your preferred return, and only then do we get any profit sharing component. Okay. And of course, we invest right alongside you. Yep. In the fund as a as a member, just like you are. Yep. And you know we're you know we're just like you in that fund. So the goal with the fund is to make sure that the sponsor doesn't get paid unless the fund does well. Yep. And 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 you're able to participate in that upside. Yep.
0: No, that makes sense. So so. How, I guess, are you, have you done money funds before? Is this your first one? This is um, the, yeah. Oh, no, finish your question. I, I was just going to say is, is, do you create different funds for different purposes? Or is this, you know, sort of you're, you're just creating this one fund and it'll basically fund all of the projects that you're, you know, that you're looking to invest in?
1: Yeah. So the fund is designed to have two or three deals in it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move to the next fund. Okay. All all it is, is really, it's exactly what we have done for a very long time. It's just doing, we just changed the vehicle a little bit. And the real reason we did it is to give us an opportunity to get the deals that we couldn't get before. Yeah. So we were historically, we've delivered 20, 25, 30% plus annual returns. Well, we can do that in a scenario when we have to try to find some way to get the deal. Yeah. It is my hope that we're able to do that same thing with our fund because we'll be able to negotiate with a lot stronger hand, so to speak.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Uh,
1: so it's it's really we're doing the exact same thing, it's just in a fund. Yeah. So our fund, you know, our minimum to close in this fund is ten million. Our target fifteen to twenty million. But if I get ten, I'm
0: happy. Yeah. We'll go invest that money and then go on to the next fund. Got it. And and why do you why do you Segmented out. Why couldn't you just run them all through the same fund? Is there a reason why you you would separate them like that in, into you know ten million dollar chunks or twenty million dollar chunks?
1: Yeah. So what happens in the in the investor uh, in the re- in the world of raising money, and I'm sure you know this. Not every investor that you'll ever have comes to you in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in a syndication, that's no big deal. You take it out to the market. The guys the guys or gals that want in it, they invest, and you're done, and you go on to the next deal. In the fund environment if you have a fund that lasts a really long time and it in the fund world, it's called having a subsequent close. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can do that. We generally don't want to do that because it's very hard for me to figure out how to make the second round investors equal in the same footing with the first round and vice versa. Cause the first round guys got in, there's a couple assets now in the fund. Here comes round two guys who are now going to get a piece of that first round but they get it with 2020 hindsight right that, yeah, in yeah. my world i can't I can't square that right yeah. It doesn't seem fair so that's why we don't intend to have subsequent closes and that's why we'll do another fund because over time we'll have new people that want to invest with us yeah. and or existing that has more money and they'll turn money
0: as we turn these deals they'll want to continue to invest so that's I why see. we're doing it that way. Yep, that makes sense that makes sense. So what is the cost and and time process? To setting up a fund, I mean, is that an expensive endeavor or?
1: It it is, yeah. It's not cheap. (laughs) Yeah, I would would imagine there's a lot of lot of legal fees involved. It's it's mostly paper and documents and things like that, and and a lot of my time just making sure that we really carefully research every. uh, You know, a fund is really a a blank sheet of paper, right? You can do whatever you want with it, Mm -hmm. and it's important that you know when we set this up. It took me about six months to set it up. We've been talking for a long time. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, we looked at every possible scenario, every possible concern mm-hmm. that an investor might have and make sure that we addressed it in the term of the fund. So in terms of uh, legal fees, I would suspect it's probably $50,000 plus okay. easily. I mean, we're, we're pretty careful about managing fees. I, I don't like to pay attorneys yeah. to be a word exactly. processor. Yeah. So I tend yeah. to do a lot of that myself. So our fees yep. are, are always, transaction costs are always lower, but it, it's at least 50000 to do that. Yeah. But it's not any different than your syndication because you've got to do a private placement memorandum, an operating agreement, and you've got to do that for every deal. Yeah, you see, I'm going to do it once. Yeah, and you'll for do the funds.
0: Yeah. So I'll deals so in there. at a per deal basis, my transaction costs are much lower. Yeah, and and once you set up the first fund, is it easier to set up subsequent funds? Because it, is it basically just replicating it over and over again? I see.
1: Yeah, it. unless there's some particular thing that we just didn't think about or we yeah. want to change about the second fund. Otherwise, yeah,
0: I, it's absolutely going to be change the name and move on. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So you do the work once and then you can just keep, keep reaping those words. That's, that's fantastic. What, so what are some of the things that you were so cautious about in this fund? Like what were some of the things that were running through your mind that you've realized, you know, we want to make sure that this is covered or the investors don't have to worry about this. What, what were some of those things?
1: Yeah, really good question. And it, and a lot of it comes from my research and talking with investors. In funds, one of the things that investors sometimes get concerned about is the amount of time that they, they make a commitment to your fund. Let's say mm-hmm. they make, I don't know, $500,000 commitment to the fund. Well, that means that they've promised to send you $500,000 when you need it for mm-hmm. these deals. Mm-hmm. And so the period in which I tie that money up is important to me. Yeah. Some funds maybe have three or four year, they're called investment periods. That's too long in my mind, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't do anything else with that money. If yeah. I need it, I call it, you're obligated to send it to me, so yeah. we make our commitment period very short it's it's eighteen months after our first close mm-hmm. that's an example of a term of the fund that we thought through very carefully
0: because we want to make sure that we're fair yeah. to the investors um, so, so you're not you're not actually when when the way that I always interpreted this as, you know, you create the fund and you basically go out and, and get people to fund the fund. Are you, you're not actually taking, you know, you, they're not actually depositing the money into the fund when, you know, when you sign the documents with them and they say, Hey, I want to invest. Correct. Correct. They make it. Yeah. In the fund world, they make a commitment.
1: I mean, okay. we might get a small funding up front. It, it's very, very small though. Yeah. But yeah, they're making a commitment that during that uh, investment period that they'll send the money as we make the capital calls and okay. it's defined how long you know 18 months to make that we have an additional six months to do improvement yep. money and yep. and then really that's it and if we haven't deployed that capital by then then we you know we then we release that so to speak yeah I mean there's a lot there's a
0: lot more going on here so I, i'm kind of hitting it from a high level yeah i know that makes sense and and so are you guys paying cash then for these properties? Are you still going through and getting the typical financing and you know maybe bridge loan? I know you guys do a lot of a lot of you know value add type projects. How does that work? Are you? Yeah. How, how does that look? We,
1: we do finance our deals. Okay. So typically, what happens is we'll put a loan in place, we'll raise the equity to buy, and then we typically have uh, we we equity fund the improvements. Okay. There's a lot of different ways to do this, depending on the loan. A bridge loan will sometimes allow you to, to fund some of those improvements with their money. Yep. You know, when you're figuring out your capital stack, what it is, it's called your capital stack, I try to be really careful because over 23 years, I've seen a lot happen in this cycle. So mm-hmm. we're really careful to not put ourselves in situations where we need to refinance out a bridge loan, but we really can't because the market turned against yeah. us at that point in time. You know, yeah. We try to manage all that. So, you know, there's no cookie cutter way to approach this. And that's part of when you invest in our fund, you're, you're investing in our experience to figure all that out. You know, I love on the smaller properties. I love the, the Freddie Small Balance Loan Program. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it goes to seven and a half million and you cannot find a cheaper loan with a lower prepayment penalty than that that yeah. gives me tons of flexibility that's an
0: example of something that we might do got it got it so you talked really briefly there about the the cycles and obviously nobody can have a have a you know crystal ball but with what we're going through today and the different you know I guess status of of the world today what what do you feel the future looks like for multifamily
1: here's why we do what we do i can't find a better way To get a better risk return profile. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain when I talk about risk, these are apartments, people need a place to live. Mm -hmm. It's not a retail strip that the internet might put that all their customers out of business, Mm -hmm. It's not a medical facility that things might change, right? There's more and more at home testing, so to speak. So there's, it's very hard to significantly impact the apartment market, right? You got to have a place to live. And that is not going to change. Yeah. It's just not. So I like that safety, so to speak. I get a diversified income stream from lots of different people who work in lots of different places. So hopefully that's shored up. Now on the return side, I can add value because the value of a property is really at, at this level is dependent on its income and its ability to produce cash flow. Yeah. I can affect that cash flow by raising rents, managing expenses, doing all the things that we do when we do a value add program. So the returns that we're able to get, when you think about it, with, with our 70%, 70, 70, 75% leverage, I mean, they're just outsized returns, in my mind, for the yeah. amount of risk that we seem to be taking. Yeah. right. If that's why we do what we do. Do I think multifamily is going to change anytime soon? I mean, I, the only thing that I see happening is more and more people view it as a, as a, a flight to safety right? Mm-hmm. For the same reasons I just described, right? There's no such thing as a real safe investment. We all yeah. know that, but it's a relative safety thing that they, that they think about.
0: Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Now in so, Florida, it just
1: is growing like crazy. We didn't get into just this, gonna... but the number of people moving into Florida is a last census was about 950 to a thousand people a day. Wow. That's wow. net in migration. Yeah. Yeah. So, so think about this. A thousand people coming into the market a day. We do BC class assets. Mm-hmm. So you might be considerable, yes, Ken, but they're building like crazy in Florida, aren't they? Doesn't that bother you? Well, They're not building BC class assets, are exactly. they? Exactly, yeah. They're building the A stuff. Yeah. Those thousand yeah. people a day, do you think 900 of those people are extremely wealthy and can afford all that A stuff? Yeah. Probably yeah. not. Right. They're people looking for BC class assets. So we have increasing demand, stable supply, prices have got to go up. So I, I am so bullish on the multifamily market, especially in growth markets like Florida, that I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to be in
0: it. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. it, it talk a little bit about how you go about finding these, these opportunities too, the, the B-class, you know, BC-class assets. Is it, is it very much so broker relations or do you have other, other avenues where you're finding the, the opportunities as well?
1: Yeah, we, we do a lot of different things. Probably the most productive is the broker community. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody can call up the brokers in Florida and say, hey, I want to buy a property, right? I mean, they get calls, so many calls every day. They don't know what to do with them. But what we're a vertically integrated company. So not only do we buy and, and uh, invest in Florida, but we also do the third-party management. Yeah. So we've got a couple thousand units in all those major markets. And so we have a buying relationship with brokers and selling relationship with brokers, but we also have a referral relationship where they bring us in to manage properties that they've uh, sold to people yeah. because they want those people to be successful. If they're well-run, they will be successful. That yeah. person's going to then come back and buy more. And so we've been able to develop, if you're standing next to someone helping them kind of sell something, yeah. your relationship with them is very different than if you're just trying to buy something from them, yeah. right? It's just different. So we're able to we're able to get access to deals that other people wouldn't be able to get. I yeah. mean, it, the, the last property we bought, broker called me and said, Ken, I got this property. I think you should look at that. We got my VP of ops and I got in the car. We went there an hour later. We walked it, definitely wanted it. That night we had an LOI. The next day we had
0: a deposit hard on it. That's yeah. how you get these deals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't take long. They, they, they go quick. They so, do. They do. Yeah. Yep. No, I love it. I love it. Something else popped in my head too before, just to set a, a level, how many, how many properties have, or how many units have you had over the course of, of your career? And uh, how many are you guys currently managing at this point?
1: Yeah. So uh, our senior management teams managed about 15,000 units in the States of Ohio, PA and Florida, about 11,000 those are in Florida 4,000-ish, I, I, I don't know exactly how many, it's been between Western PA and, and Ohio. Mm-hmm. How many have we owned? You know, I don't know, have that number off the top of my head. We've done about 15 or 16 deals. It's actually in our, our webinar online. Mm-hmm. You can take a look at it with our whole track records laid out there for you. But it's been about 15 or 16 deals and we currently manage about 2,000 units throughout those, throughout those major cities, Tampa, Orlando, Daytona, and up to Jacksonville. We don't it. do anything in South Florida because it's just a very different market.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Ken, if people want to learn more about KRI or, you know, your fund or anything like that, what, what would be the best way to uh, to get that kind of information?
1: Sure. So go to our website, uh, KRIpartners.com and uh, make sure you get on our email list. That's the best way to make sure that you know what's going on. Once you get on that list, we, you know, we can direct you to our uh, our, our webinar for our current fund. You can email me. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Ken Gee is how you find me on LinkedIn. KRI Partners, we're also on LinkedIn there. Uh, shoot me an email at my email at kgee at kriproperties.com. Just, just get in touch with me. I do like to have conversations mm-hmm. like we're having right now with every investor to make sure they're right, mm-hmm. make sure it makes sense for them to be in the in the fund. Uh, that's important to me that we know who our investors are. Yep. So we'd love yep. to hear from you and you know maybe it'll be a good fit.
0: Yeah. I love it. Ken, thank you so much for spending the time and explaining all of the, uh, the ups and downs that you've had over the course of your career. So it, it really is an interesting business and, you know, love what you guys are doing. So well, thank you for having with me. Everything. I appreciate it. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Thanks for listening and remember pass the secret sauce.